With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 37 of Great Quarter, guys. I'm your host, Andrew Cox, here with my co-host, Kevin Hill, and we have with us Seth Holm as well, one of the OG hosts. He'll be joining us here in a moment. Kevin, how are we? We're doing great. We're doing great, Andrew. I'm, I'm ready to, to get the show started and kicked off, and, and thanks again to Carrier Direct for all their research contributions to our show today. No doubt. All right, episode 37. 37? I, had to, I had to dig deep on this one to find a number 37, but I've got one for you. Hall of Famer, Doak Walker. Doak Walker, yes. yes. 1954. Uh, I think he won the Heisman back in the day. Do you know where he went to school? Trivia? Uh, Auburn, I think. Uh, SMU. Yeah, SMU. Oh, SMU. Ran, that's random right. guess. But, but yes, uh, the, the, the Doak Walker episode for you. Also, this one, this, this is interactive. We are live on LinkedIn right now, and I wanted to make it more interactive. So if you guys are watching uh, and you have a stock that you want us to talk about or an idea that you'd like us to discuss, if we know anything about it, we'll try to talk about it. So throw it in the comments somewhere, and, and we'll try to get to it uh, at some point in our 30 minutes here. Uh, let, let us take a quick look at that Bank of America consumer spending data that we've been checking in on every week. Uh, total card spending seems to be picking up a little bit. We see uh, two or three double-digit days uh, up uh, over last year uh, in the latest report. However, there are some divisions here that have dropped off significantly. The department store spending has slowed uh, a lot. You see that there was probably a lot of pent-up demand there in June. The July numbers, the end of June and the, the beginning of July numbers are slowing down a little bit. Uh, the lodging and gas spending data has has slowly been improving. That shows that people are out and about, uh, which is which is also a good thing. And then again, online electronics, uh, everything online is, is doing pretty well. Furniture and home improvement have continued to to outperform. Uh, so let's you know what we're doing there. We, we think things are getting a little bit better. Um, but let's let's hop into what I'm going to call a new segment. Okay, it's uh, is this is an ode. <clears throat> to Dan Lebetard and his father, Poppy, on Highly Questionable. They are uh, Cuban, of course. My mother's Cuban, so we have a little connection there. I love Dan Lebetard. I'm going to do an ode to him. They do a fun segment called Si o No, and I give you an idea, and uh, you say whether you're interested in that idea or not. So we'll run through these. We're going to call ours You Care or Nah. That's what we're calling this. So first one for Kevin and Seth. Bill Ackman and Pershing Square have submitted a perspective and are seeking to raise $4 billion for a special purpose acquisition company. Kevin, you interested or not? See, I'd like to see what, see what Ackman buys. I, I would like to see, you know, he, he's, he's, he's had his hits and misses. Sears might be a miss, but I think maybe if he bought some distressed companies during this time uh, with the $4 billion or one distressed company, I think it'd be interesting. And, and, and let's face it, whatever Pershing, Pershing Square does is, is interesting in my book. So I, I'm a yes. Seth, what about you? You care or not? I care, yes. Yeah, see, um, so this is going to be the biggest SPAC of all time. Um, it's going to raise as much as $7 billion. It's going to be a little bit different. Um, you know, he has stated that he wants to buy a, uh, you know, a minority stake 
in a private large capitalization company. So Ackman is kind of going back to the basics what that made him successful. He was on David Rubenstein's show that I would recommend if you uh, go back and watch that. But, you know, he's looking for simple, uh, highly cash generative businesses, which Kevin likes. And um, so it'll be really interesting to see what he goes out there and buys. Yeah. So I'm definitely interested. What, what did uh, what, what industry did you say? Seth? I, I missed that. Yeah, I, I I don't think it's industry specific, or, or but uh, profile. Uh, basically, a minority stake in a large cap predictable business was the okay. quote that I read um, in a, in a Barron's article. So, but that's basically what he invests in now. So think things like you know Starbucks, railroads, uh, Chipotle, uh, stuff like that right now. Well, lovely. I'm interested as well. Uh, I'm actually with Seth on this one. I th- I'm, I'm excited about the big SPAC. I think it's going to be very interesting. Uh, SPACs are becoming so popular uh, nowadays. We were talking offline about how SPACs used to be kind of a, a, a seedy way to get into the public markets, but are now, you know, because of COVID, kind of gaining uh, some, some respectability there. But all right, we'll move on to the next one. Number two, Elon announced that they would be dropping one of the four models, uh, one of the four options of the Model Y. It was one he's saying it's going to have too low of a, um, a mile capacity. It's going to have less than 250 miles. Uh, Seth, you and I are the big Tesla bulls here. You, you care or not? I don't really care that much. So, yeah, just for background, Tesla usually has a standard range and then a long range. And the long range is obviously more expensive and you get more battery uh, mileage out of that. Um, I am more interested in the things I've seen the last two days. So Tesla is likely to be expanding into India in 2021 with likely in the form of one of those hatchbacks. Uh, there's been sources that have said that that's going to happen. And they're also talking about building a second. Uh, they're not talking about it, but this got leaked to the media that they're building uh, underway right now. They're building a second gigafactory in China. So those sort of more interest me. I think the demand for the Model Y, most people probably would have gone with the long range anyways. So, Kevin, you don't care much about Tesla. You, you, you care about this Model Y getting canceled or not? I, I, I don't. And this is not a dig on, on Tesla whatsoever. It's just it's a car company. It's like any other company with multi-brands. Uh, you have your superstars. You have your dogs. You have your in-between, you know, the four quadrants sure. uh, from some yeah, consulting, I mean, Boston it's, consulting it's, it's, firm. Yeah, BCG. Uh, yeah. So it's just normal business. So it's not really a big deal. You know, if it's not selling, it's going to get cut. Yeah, I am. I am going to care about this one uh, as a Tesla uh, stockholder. I am happy that they are dropping this model because he doesn't think that it would meet their requirements. That means they're keeping their requirements high as as they have. They produce a good product, so I do care about that. I'm glad they're doing it. All right, moving on to we got actually a bunch of car things to rip off here. There's a lot of car news. We're, we're just going to rip through them. Uh, so Rivian, the electric car maker based in Michigan, they've been around for about 10 years but have yet to deliver a car. They are backed by Ford and Amazon and some other massive companies. They just secured another 2.5 billion dollars in funding. Seth, you care or not? I care. Um, and I'll tell you why I don't, I hardly know anything about the company, but I know Jeff Bezos is a big bull on it. He went and visited their factory in, uh, in Michigan and then, you know, ordered a thousand of these for Amazon for their cargo delivery. That plus I heard this week on a podcast that uh, Ron Barron at Barron Capital is a big investor in this. And why you should care about that is he was I think the single largest investor in Tesla, and he's been in it since the IPO. So he knows his electric cars, and if he is an investor in it, it's probably worth looking at. Kevin, two point five billion to Rivian. You care or not? 
I, I think Seth just sucked me into caring. Okay. I, I, I think he did. So, so I is that the one with the the, the really nice SUV? Yeah, so they came out with a, I think it was about 18 months ago. They have this beautiful emerald green with circle green, headlights, yes. uh, it, hollow circle headlights. It's it's a gorgeous car, really. It is, yeah, yeah. We were looking at it a while ago offline, and it is a gorgeous car. Uh, so because of Seth, I'm interested. Yeah, it was a no, but he turned me into a C. Well, good. I care as well. I think Rivian's a good company. They have strong leadership. They've gotten money from Ford and Amazon. Like you said, Bezos is involved. They've got a lot of smart money behind them. That's that's the big point here is that they haven't delivered a car, but they've got a lot of smart money. Uh, so I, I do care about some more smart money going into that pocket of theirs. Another car one. Here we go. This is Fisker. Uh, this is another electric car company that had made a lot of, made a splash about, I guess it was eight or ten years ago. They were making very high-end luxury electric vehicles. They were kind of competing in that Tesla Roadster um, area. They there for a couple years. They've gone through some sort of management change. They, they are now rebranded as, as a different uh, Fisker Automotive. They've kept the Fisker name. Uh, but in any case, they are going to go public via a SPAC later this year. Kevin, you care or not? No, I don't. I, I, I don't really care. It's a, another electric vehicle that has yet to produce an electric vehicle, right? Yeah, they, they've, they, sold a, they've, they've sold a, a handful, like a, a handful, few thousand, right? not, not so, very many. So it's another SPAC. SPACs are hot right now, as, as you let off the show, stating, but I, I can't really get excited about it. I, you know, So I, I'm not really very interested in it, and I'd never really heard of them all that much before this, just a, a few times. Uh, so it doesn't really change my opinion. All right, Seth, you care or not? Fisker going public? Uh, no, I don't. I don't care. I, I agree with Kevin. We are sort of getting this both SPAC and uh, EV overload here um, because I think everyone's trying to take advantage of, you know, Tesla's run in valuation here. Um, however, I did see that the founder uh, and CEO, I guess, has a. And I, this is very little research, but I think he's pretty reputable for his uh, for his design work. Uh, he did something with the BMW Z28 and the. Uh, it was it the Aston Martin? Is that is that it? Yes, you're Andrew? correct. Yep. Yeah. So uh, I'll be keeping an eye on it, but no, I don't care for for investing purposes. I'm not interested. Yeah, I, I'm not invested. I'm not uh, interested in investing purposes either. They're a very small company, about two billion. Uh, I, I think they make cool looking cars. I've seen uh, I've seen them. Uh, but uh, another another point to note about that everybody kind of jumping on the Tesla uh, tail here is that. You wonder, people wonder why Tesla's valuation is so high, but they're the only ones, they're the only electric car maker, at least in the U.S., that has set out, we're going to make these cars, and they just actually produce them. We see Fiskars come out with models. Rivian came out with that model 18 months ago. They just, we haven't seen any of them actually deliver on what they're going to do. So uh, no one, you know, that, that can see why Tesla's run up the way it is. All right, another car one for you. GMC is bringing the Hummer back, Seth. We we have uh, seen we've seen that this was coming back. We heard about it. I think they've released a photo now, uh, but it's going to be an electric fashion. It's coming back. We won't be here till 2022. Um, but Seth, do you care about the GMC Hummer coming back or not? No, uh, I do not. Uh, I think uh, Hummers, you know, are the most en environmentally unfriendly car on the planet. Uh, you know, in their pre-existence, and you got to you got to appreciate the irony. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, just the amount of power it's going to consume to charge those, I can't even imagine. So, uh, no, I don't care on the Hummer. What about you? You care about the Hummer? 
Uh, I, I do, yeah. I, I do care about it because I'm sitting here looking at a picture They're of the, the model, right? They're you can gorgeous. see this. You, you've seen it before. It is a gorgeous truck. I mean, it's, it's like the Badger, right? I, I'm not a fan of the Cybertruck whatsoever. Dooner, sorry, just not a fan. You can have your Cybertruck. The Badger looked really good. This Hummer looks looks really good as well. I think it's, it's probably, it'll be more popular than, than a Nikola Badger. Uh, so, yes, I do care. Um, I care as well. I think Hummers are cool. I always did. I always knew that they were gas guzzling and, and disgusting for the environment, but I think they're cool cars, and I think the new ones are going to be really cool too. You're probably right, Seth. I can only imagine the energy that it's going to take uh, to power that thing, but it looks cool, and I'm here for cool, cool but cars. But it's the same amount of energy as, as any other pickup truck out there, and you need electric pickup trucks to, to really capture or really turn the market, I, I guess right? I, I say that because I know how heavy Hummers are. Well, and, and, and it's, it's not a Hummer, right? Well, yeah, it's I think, just I think they're coming back with multiple. They're coming back with multiple uh, models. So the, the actual Hummer? Yeah, I think they are going to come out with one that's kind of similar to the H3, the smaller Hummer that they yeah. had. Uh, then I don't care about but that. But in any case, uh, another another company that's come out with multiple models of an old car, the Ford Bronco, we talked about it last week. It finally got released. Uh, I believe it was last night with some really dope videos shot all over this crazy, seemed like Wyoming uh, countryside, which was really cool. Uh, but the first visuals were again released last night. Seth, you care for it or not? Nah? Yeah, I do care. I mean, as we talked about last week, I think it's uh, a nice uh, growth uh, catalyst for, for Ford. And I, I haven't checked back in since last week, but I saw a picture. It looks really nice. It's, you know, uh, competing with that Wrangler. And um, and I think it crashed the website last night. So obviously people are interested. So I do care about on that one. And uh, Kevin, what about you? Uh, yeah, you I, I definitely care about it. I, 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 it's a gorgeous car, both of them, right? Or, or truck or, or Jeep, right? Which I, uh, I'll segue into in just a second. Uh, you know, the, the Wrangler competitor, it looks really nice. I like the SUV, too. The SUV and talking about nice round headlights and, and kind of a throwback type of yeah, spirit. Yeah, the, the front is beautiful. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's the... The, and the company that really should care about this is Chrysler and, yeah, and Jeep. Yeah, you should be shaking in their boots, I think. Yeah, because, I mean, if that's their only profitable line, like you said last it week is, yeah. on the show, then I would be quaking my boots. So that's uh, I I care about it. And, and Chrysler, Jeep, Fiat, whatever they're called these days, Daimler, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, should, should care about it quite a bit, too. Yeah, I, I care, too. I think they look gorgeous. I'm with you, Seth. They're going to be a good vehicle to growth for Ford. Uh, let's get on into our main discussions here. The first one is Walmart. We saw their announcement of Walmart Plus, which is their aim to take down uh, Amazon Prime. This is a $98 per year. You get same-day delivery. Uh, you get some fuel discounts, and they have some other perks as well. I think they're going to keep introducing perks to this, especially maybe some discounts on food, uh, some some things to really drive grocery sales as well. Um, but just just to begin with, Seth, you, you follow this market better than the both of us. So what do you make of this rundle, this reoccurring revenue and subscription bundle? What, can they steal any of the Amazon fans here, or is this uh, – what do you make of it? By the way, is, is rundle their term or yours? I hadn't heard uh, that The yet. rundle is a Professor uh, Galloway term. I stole that from him. Uh, yeah, yeah that, I, don't, I don't know. I might change the, the sound of that one. Yeah, but, um, rundle. Uh, <laughs> So a couple thoughts on that. Um, I think it's a very smart move on Walmart. It kind of makes you wonder, you know, where that where they've been, uh, why this has not come out sooner. Uh, but I think it's a great value proposition at $98. And uh, it's actually, I, I would think it's an Instacart competitor as well, because you're talking about same-day grocery delivery, unlimited, including, I assume you still, have, you still need to tip. But, um, you know, that's a nice uh, benefit there as well. Uh, and then if you look at Amazon Prime, 
uh, they I can't remember the exact number, but it's over 100 million households, which is basically, uh, I think that's a global number. But they have Amazon Prime basically has almost every household in terms of the middle and upper echelon incomes in the United States. And I think Walmart is a little bit more uh, in tune with both the rural and the lower income community. And so I don't know that they're going to, if those people choose, if many of those uh, customers choose to adopt that, um, I do like it. And they may not even have to steal them away from Amazon. Um, although I think there will be uh, maybe a slight uh, you know, uh, share that they'll take from Amazon. But I really like it from an investment perspective because uh, you know, it, it's fairly obvious the businesses in the marketplace right now with recurring revenue and that are technology oriented and, you know, to go with the Shopify announcement that they made. I think these are all valuation accretive uh, exercises that they're going through. And if you look at Walmart, um, you know, it's growing again and it's all coming from digital. And you're talking about a stock, you know, rather than some of these stocks that everyone says is in a tech bubble, you're talking about a stock that trades at, you know, 0.7 times revenue and 25 times earnings. So if you can, and, and not only that, but this subscription product basically ensures their long-term viability and, and existence for, in, in so much as that uh, there's low churn and a lot of people sign up. So I think it's a smart business move and uh, it should add value to the company, uh, the stock as well. So, uh, so as you said, the, the this all of these partnerships, these tech investments, they are value accretive to Walmart. But what do you say to these goofies out here saying that uh, that Walmart is the next tech stock, Seth? You know, uh, I'm never surprised by anything in the market. I could buy into that, uh, and and in this market, you know, if you think about it, for all that Walmart needs to do to double is you know 0.7 times, just to put that in context on revenue, that would be a tech stock that's going out of business. Um, that is the bottom of the bargain bin. Um, and so if you can even get a one or a two times revenue multiple at Walmart, uh, you know, you're talking about 50 or 100 percent upside for the stock. Um, so, you know, I can see where they're, you know, they're getting around with that. There's a similar thing going on with Disney. Now, Disney is a, uh, you know, basically a COVID short. I mean, every single one of their businesses are right in the middle of COVID. But if, if COVID hadn't come along, you would have seen a similar transformation and valuation re-rating higher in Disney because of their streaming and Disney Plus. So I think it's a very smart move. And I don't think they're crazy. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Walmart goes on a run, if they if they come out and the, the numbers that they release early about how many people have signed up and their usage and all the key metrics look good. I think the stock will, will start to fly. That would be my guess. So, Kevin, you were the one that brought this uh, conversation to, to the table. What do you make about people calling Walmart, a company with 12,000 physical stores, a tech company? Uh, so, so to start with, I'll answer the question in just a second, but to start with, uh, Mark Solomon, one of our contributors at FreightWaves.com, wrote about this and published it this morning, and there's some interesting points. It goes along with what uh, Seth was saying about the market segmentation, right? The upper middle income homes are on Amazon Prime, but not so much rural uh, low-income uh, earners. So it's a very interesting point that, uh, you know, and, and Solomon goes into it in his article as well, is that they don't really need to steal any market share from Amazon for this to be a really good 
business move for Walmart, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of stickiness in Amazon Prime. I don't think anyone's going to cancel their Amazon Prime membership and and take out a Walmart. No, I'm certainly not. There'll be some that will take out both, right? But there's a huge market out there that's still untapped, and he goes into that uh, he goes into that quite well on that. On the tech side, I want I have a question for for Seth on that. Is uh, you know whether they are a tech company? I, I think they're putting the foundation to like Disney. Disney is putting in the foundation to where they might be able to to be a tech tech company or a tech stock pretty soon. And part of that is the Shopify partnership, right? Mm -hmm. So Seth was saying is uh, 0.7 times revenue is what they're trading at. What kind of revenue multiple is accretive with that Shopify partnership? How how should an investor value that? Uh, Because I, I think that would add... Value, it would add value to, to, to Walmart's and their, their 0.7 uh, revenue trading. What do you think about that, Seth? Yeah, so a couple things. So I think Shopify, just to put it in perspective, trades at about 50 times forward revenue right now. Um, and Amazon trades it around three times. And that's a little bit that's up from where it used to be. It used to trade, I think, between one and two times. Uh, forward revenue for a long time, but then when AWS and advertising and a lot of these other sort of higher margin revenue streams came in the picture, uh, I I think that, um, you know, in any case, uh, I think Walmart uh, sets up, well, they they could be a freight tech company, right? So I think uh, very few people in our business would argue that Walmart's uh, logistical knowledge and expertise is probably right up there with anyone's. Um, and so, uh, in, the, in terms of scale and distribution advantages and all that sort of thing. So, I think that sets them up well. And then the other thing, just if you think from an investment perspective, what I, you know, as I think through this on air here, what I really like about it is uh, this is a really good setup, I think, because it's not that expensive of a stock. Um, and you're talking about a company that's extremely defensive. You saw in March, uh, you know, everybody flocked to Walmart when the economy shuts down. So if things go south and we get another double dip recession or, you know, nationwide lockdowns, Walmart's probably going to do pretty well. And then even if we don't and the economy recovers and reopens, you've got this big sort of call option here uh, with a lot of upside to it. That's that's sort of how I'm thinking of it. But on the tech multiples, I mean, you can kind of go across the spectrum. It goes anywhere from uh, companies with low gross margins will generally trade sort of kind of in the one to four times uh, revenue. So if you think about a Wayfair or Carvana, that's more of a one times revenue business. But then you can go all the way up to software and, and you're talking about 20, 30, 40 times revenue. So, But in any event, it's way higher than 0.7. All right, so let's let's shift gears a little bit to one of those tech companies that's going to get a massive uh, revenue multiple here in the next couple of weeks or months or years or whenever this company goes public, because we've been waiting a long time for Palantir to go public. Uh, I'll give you a little background on this company for everyone watching that doesn't know the name Palantir. It is uh, a very secretive company, but a huge company uh, as well. So it's named after the Seeing Stones in the Lord of the Rings, the Palantir Stones. The mission of the company is to make the West, especially America, the strongest in the world. So what they do, they are a data mining and analytics company. Again, their, for, their IPO is forthcoming. They're, they're one of the largest private companies in the country, a roughly $20 billion valuation. It has been an exhausting road to the public markets, as I just said. 
the the trend has been for startup for startups to kind of go public uh, as as early as possible in the last or they've stayed they've they've gone public quite early. We we saw that with saw the difference there with Uber and Lyft and some of these companies that waited a little bit longer. But nobody has really waited as long as Palantir. They've been around for 16 years. Uh, they've got investment from something that I didn't even know was real. That's called InQtel. This is the venture capital arm of the CIA. I didn't know that was a thing, uh, but they got money from them 16 years ago. And and again, they're highly secretive because they work with government agencies. They, they work with a lot of national defense agencies uh, of a lot of Western countries. Um, again, they try to find patterns in the digital haystack, so to say. They try to find the needle. They are credited with locating Osama bin Laden. So they've got some, some big things on their resume going forward. And Peter Thiel, who is one of the co-founders, he was the first ex, uh, external investor in Facebook. He is a, a very well-known Silicon Valley guy. He says in a recent interview that Palantir has better tech than the NSA. Uh, so that's kind of that kind of gets you into perspective of what they do. Uh, they're a very kind of uh, secretive company, but we're going to know more about them coming forward. The IPO is forthcoming. So I asked you, Seth, are you long or short the IPO perspective? And is it because you think they're a good company to own and invest in, or because you want to see what who they've been working with? Or is it something like both? I think you know the answer to this, because you and I have talked a good bit about this. I'm definitely long on Palantir. I think it'll probably be the year's biggest and most successful IPO. Um, it, you know, this is this could be the next $50, $100 billion tech company, I think, fairly easily. Now, the growth rate, as you mentioned, you know, they were, they've been around for 15 years or so. The, so the growth rate is not up there with some of the SaaS company, you know, some of the younger, smaller SaaS companies in the 50 or 100% range. But you're probably looking at, you know, call it 20 to 40% steady growth here. Uh, and the other thing is, so I read a book by Peter Thiel, uh, many years, it's probably been 10 years, but it's called Zero to One, and it's a very famous book, and, and I would recommend it. But he sort of raves about Palantir being the next big thing that he's really interested in. So ever since I read that book, I've been sort of watching this one closely and, and uh, you know, always wanted to jump at the chance. And I do think they, to invest in it, and I do think that they have, you know, amazing technology. It is highly controversial because they're, they're involved in things like predictive law enforcement, so they can tell you know, you get into those 1984 type arguments. They can tell beforehand when somebody's about to, for example, a mass gun shooting. They can uh, they can figure that out. Um, or you know, somebody who's about to commit a violent crime. They can figure that. So you know, and then they work. Uh, you know, they're also controversial. It's a, a lot like Facebook. The guy who runs them, Alex Carp, is uh, sort of you know, and it a very uh, sort of idiosyncratic guy. You should, I suggest people read about him. But, um, you know, and he's very, um, he, he's, he wants to help, he wants technology to help employment, but they've also worked with, uh, you know, immigration and, and places like that in terms of a lot of people say that they've, you know, worked with uh, helping the government deport illegal uh, immigrants and stuff like that. So it will be controversial, but I think it's destined to become a very huge and, uh, and cool company to follow. All right, Kevin, are you long or short the idea of Palantir going public, and is it because you want to invest in the company or because you want to see who they work with? I want to see who they work with. I, I kind of do want to invest in the company, too. Uh, but I, I definitely want to see exactly what they do. I've been kind of researching a little bit this morning, and I, can't, I still can't figure out exactly what they do. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand that they work with all kinds of different industries. It's a large, what, $20, 25000000000 billion uh, equity or enterprise value. It's not really a startup anymore. Uh, but, but I would like to see what they actually do and who they work with, see what kind of risks that they put out. 
out in their their S one. Uh, I'd like to to what was his name? Uh, Seth Carp, Alex Carp. Yeah, Alex, Alex Carp. Yeah. He, yeah. He was a law school uh, friend of Peter Thiel's at Stanford. And okay. That's how they met. Yeah. So I'd like to see how he handles a, a public company, and so so that's that's really really my my take on it. I don't know what they do. I know it's high tech, a lot of data probably scary data if yes. you think about it what, what they have access to uh but yeah i would like to read the s1 yeah i'm uh definitely interested in both uh, i'm certainly interested in who they work with i think that's going to be just a a, a shed of light uh, on mm-hmm. what they do i'm also really interested in investing in this company i think that uh they've done one of the benefits of them staying private for so long as they've been able to build up that balance sheet and build up the ability to, to get profitable. I don't think they're quite there yet, but I think they're very close. They have uh, big positive cash flows. Um, I would like to see them stop working with ICE. They've had their their employees had a big kind of come to Jesus meeting with Alex Carp that they should stop working with ICE. He declined that uh, request, but you know we'll, we'll see what happens there. Uh, I do think the company's really interesting. I'm I'm very excited for this company. And if by the way, if anybody wants an, an early access to the company, Seth and I didn't mention, but uh, there's a company Suro Capital, uh, which is quadruple S, is the ticker. Uh, Seth, I think they own what 20% or something. 20% of their holdings are in Palantir. Yeah, so they don't own 20 per, you know, and we're not making stock recommendations, even though Absolutely uh, we're not. Kind of t- turning Andrew into Jim Cramer here. But uh, 20%, they don't, they don't own 20% of Palantir, but 20% of their assets right, right. Uh, are in Palantir. And they've got some other interesting stakes. They've got a nice stake in Nextdoor, which is another up and coming huge tech company and some others. So, uh, so there you are. Uh, so, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. so- quadruple s if you're interested there okay we got uh, 90 seconds here let's uh, hop on a quick one at the last we're gonna talk about freight volumes this is a finance and freight show we've kind of been avoiding freight to the end but uh let, let's throw it in here at the end uh seth are you long or short otvi averaging a higher total for the second half of 2020 versus the second half of 2019 or 2018 uh, thus far the averages have been very similar through the first half um 2020 has been just higher than 2019 and 2018 uh, what are you expecting? Do you think freight volumes uh, outdo the previous two years in the back half of the year? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely long here. Um, I think it's separated itself recently. It's something like 20% above both. 2018 was a bullish year for freight, but it fell off in the back half, and 2019 is easy comp. So you basically have to think that uh, OTVI is going to crash here for it not to. So I, I'd be long that. What do you think? You long? Yeah, I, I, I'm long OTVI uh, because dry van reefer exposure. I, I think the industrials, uh, another story yeah. also altogether. I think flatbed uh, tender rejects are, are crashing right now uh, with, with shutdowns and stuff. But I, I think with these emerging supply, grocery stores, things like that. Yeah, I think that it will definitely uh, outdo it. I think if we go into another lockdown, you're going to see grocery data and everything popping up again. Uh, but this has been a wonderful show. Thanks for Carrier Direct. We are on a six-day, 23-and-a-half-hour break. We'll see you next week, guys. 